who was a professor of New Testament at New College at the University of Edinburgh. And uh, this is the way it is. We seek teachers who are able to enlighten us. When I think of teachers, the most matchless of all teachers is our Lord Jesus himself. And he taught in this remarkable way of telling stories. I like to re repeat what an old Jewish rabbi said, that God made man because he wanted to tell a story. That's a good thing to remember. And he teaches us, the Lord God does through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then by the application of the Holy Spirit's work in us, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Well, this lesson today is probably the greatest story ever told of Fyodor Dostoevsky, who is uh, often ascribed to be the writer of the greatest novel ever written. Uh, Dostoevsky says of this passage of scripture that this is the greatest story ever told, that it's the most matchless. It begins because Jesus had been teaching about discipleship. And uh, he taught the tough demands of discipleship. And then after this, he was criticized because certain undesirable people were coming to listen to him. And uh, chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke begins this way. Then I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 11. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man has gone to be the guest of sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he has found it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors and saith unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, likewise, there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Then he tells another story about a woman who loses a coin and the same theme of joy comes. And then at the close of this story, he tells yet another story beginning at verse 11. And this is the one Dostoevsky uh, uh, loved so much and had read to him actually when he was dying. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, 
And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring here the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments. Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. All that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise you for all of your mercy and goodness to us. And we thank you for the gracious way in which you receive us. We thank you that our Lord Jesus has said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And so that means that no matter what we have done, here this day you will speak to our hearts the word we need most to hear. And we pray now that you will make our hearts open and receptive to your truth and that the Holy Spirit will accomplish his good purpose of conforming us into the image of Christ by working in us now. Take these gifts which we bring and use them to bring honor and glory to your name and strip aside all of our prejudices and all of the deadening familiarity that comes with having heard an old story and refresh our minds by your truth and by our repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Alexander Solzhenitsyn has written a book called From Under the Rubble, and in it he begins to tell how in Russia, with all of its many, many concentration camps and all of the oppression that exists, that there is a strain of deep and abiding faith in people. 
And this was brought home to me when I was listening to a Presbyterian minister recently who had gone uh, uh, through Russia and had gone to the city of Leningrad because he wanted to go to the great Hermitage Museum, which is there. In that museum, there is the greatest collection of Rembrandt's paintings of any other place on the planet Earth. The last painting that Rembrandt had, the one that he cherished the most, even though it was sold and he was starving, was called The Return of the Prodigal. And it was based upon the theme which we have just read a moment ago. And this Presbyterian minister stood there looking at this matchless painting of Rembrandt. All he had was his Dutch Bible and this picture, having died in poverty, and now this painting is so celebrated and looked upon as such a tremendous work of art all over the world. And so he took his little New Testament out as he looked at the painting. And he opened it to the 15th chapter of Luke and he began those words, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he read these words, looking up at that painting, right there in Leningrad. And the in-tourist guide who had been assigned to him said to him when he finished, that story is about the love of God, isn't it? And that picture is about the love of God, isn't it? And my friend said, yes. That's exactly what it means, the love of God. The love of God that gives us the opportunity to begin again. There's a little bit of doggerel that says, I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our heartaches and all our mistakes could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. There's another line that says, across the fields of yesterday, he sometimes comes to me a little lad just back from play, the lad I used to be. And yet he smiles so wistfully once he's crept within that I wonder if he hopes to see the man I might have been. Well, that echoes the desire on our part to begin again. And what Jesus wanted desperately for these people to know here who were his immediate audience and what he wants us to know in Montreat and those who are listening by the radio and those who are in Leningrad and those who are any place in the world is that God's love is always seeking, always searching, and always wanting to give us the experience of newness in him and of changing us into what we ought to be. Having spoken of discipleship, 
and having finished his discourse on that, there were still some people, though the demands of discipleship were tough, who gathered close to Jesus and wanted to hear more. And so the religious authorities grumbled at this. The scribes and Pharisees were people of great knowledge as far as the Bible was concerned, but their hearts were callous and indifferent. And Jesus wanting them to know that when God gathers us unto himself, he intends to keep on working on us until he makes us what we ought to be. And so he tells the story of how God's searching after people. He gives the story of the shepherd, a hundred sheep, one goes astray. And yet that one is so precious in the shepherd's sight that he leaves the 99 and goes after that one until he finds it. And when he finds it, he picks it up kicking and squirming and places it upon his shoulders and brings it back rejoicing that he has found his sheep. And Jesus said to the religious authorities and the people who were listening, if there is a person out there who has carelessly strayed away, let him know that God is searching for that one and God will find him and when he does and brings him back, God is rejoicing. My father's like that and he wants he wants these undesirable people that you don't want. He wants them to be restored, brought back to himself. Sin breaks fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship with people. But he wants to reconcile us. And then he tells about the woman with the coins. A coin is an inanimate object. It's not like a sheep. A sheep gets lost because it's silly. It looks down. It's very, sheep are very dumb animals, and they can't see very far. They're very nearsighted. And they look at a little tuft of grass here and nibble at it, and another tuft of grass here and go after that. And then the first thing they know, they look up and bleat, and they're away. And so someone has to go get them. But a coin is lost through someone else's carelessness. And in a house like Jesus would have known about in his day, there were not windows like this and no lights like this. And so when that coin was lost, which probably was a part of the dowry of this woman like a, a wedding ring would be, she lights a candle and searches for it. And what God's word is meant to do is to light up our hearts so that we see God's love and purpose for us and to draw us unto himself. And she searches until she finds it. And the constant is the element of joy. When she has found it, she rejoices and calls her friends and tells them to rejoice too because she's found this coin that had been lost. And that's a good thing for us to remember.
uh, next week. My wife and I will have been married 33 years. And when we got married out in Amarillo, Texas, I went to Zales Jewelry Store and I bought an enormous diamond ring that cost $99. <laughs> and uh, one of the sweetest things that we had happened in that first year that we lived in a tiny little place. One day I came home and her face was all swollen, crying, and she had lost her enormous diamond <laughs> wedding ring. And uh, we found it. Uh, but uh, you see, it meant a lot. Even though it wasn't flawless and it certainly wasn't heavy and it wasn't great and expensive and she wears it to this day. And we've gone through a lot of things since then. That's precious. And so God is telling us that there is that loving and precious part of joy that comes when this inanimate one is found and brought back. That could maybe represent children who are lost through other people's carelessness, who lead them the wrong way. So important, the vows which were taken by Dr. Haney and Janet this morning, because they are to pray with and for their child and teach the child by example, by nurture and by admonition, both ways, the knowledge of the Christian faith. And then Jesus comes to this third story which you all know by heart. Dostoevsky loved this so much because he was arrested as a radical student in his university days and was almost shot by the Tsar because they thought there was a plot against the Tsar's life. And Dostoevsky was taken to Siberia to a prison camp. The train had stopped on the way and all these prisoners were on it. And there were two women who came out close to the train who were Christians. And one of them took a little copy of the New Testament and put some rubles uh, in at the 15th chapter of Luke and when the guard turned his back she slipped it to him and when Dostoevsky was in the prison camp he read the story of the prodigal son prodigal means waste and he thought of his own life and his own talent and how it had been wasted and he gave his life to Jesus Christ in a remarkable saving faith then Jesus teaches us from this boy's experience. He demands his freedom. Let me say this about freedom. Uh, there's a lot of talk about freedom now. P.T. Forsyth, who was a, a great congregational scholar over in England, used to say the problem in life is not to find your freedom. The problem is to find your master. Now that's worth remembering. The problem is not to find your freedom, it's to find your master. Who is your master? Well, when Dostoevsky found uh, Jesus Christ as the master of his life, it began to be a golden thread through all of the things that he wrote. Uh, there are moral things that come out, and even Solzhenitsyn's conversion uh, is traceable right to some of his study of Dostoevsky. Well, the father did not deny that he would give 
the portion of goods to this young man, but he gave them. The young man was callous toward him. He was saying to his father in Freudian terms, I don't care if you die, I just want what you've got. Give me the portion of goods that comes to me. That's the hardest thing you can say to another person is, I don't need you. I don't need you. That's cruel. That's as cruel and as mean as anything you can say. I don't need you. He said to his father, just give me what's coming to me. And so the father divided the portion to him. He took his money and he went away. And the, we used to have a bookie here from New York who loved for me to tell this because I, I would put in a line that I heard from some man who said that he squandered, when it says he squandered his money, he meant that he lost it on slow horses and fast women. <laughs> and uh, there's some truth to that. Uh, he did squander his money. And he did it in a very uh, terrible way. And it was all gone. And then a famine hit that land. And he began to be in want. That's always the way it is when the devil moves in. There is a famine in the land. And he began to be in want. What he has does not satisfy. And it did not satisfy here. And then we read the remarkable lines that the hunger brought to him. He began to think, and he said, how many of my fathers, and notice he thinks about a person, my father, I told you early in the sermon that I went all the way to West Texas because of a professor. I went all the way to Columbia Seminary because of a professor, a person. I went all the way across the ocean because of a professor, a person. He doesn't think about other things. He had said in the beginning, that he could do without his father. I don't need you. But now he learns that he can't. I will arise and go to my father. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, and he makes this wonderful little religious speech, I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. See the relationship? Make me as one of your hired servants just to work your way to heavens. Well, you know the story and I have to bring it to a close. His father sees him when he is a great way off. And I love that. Because God sees us all when we're a great way off. And believe you me, some here are a great way off this morning further off than we realize because of our lack of sensitivity to God and to his will and our willingness to yield to his lordship in making us what we ought to be. But he doesn't hate us. He loves us. And that's why he's got me talking about it now. He wants to make us what we ought to be.
He sees us a great way off. He knows that we're trying to make him do what we want to do. And we're trying to go it our own way. But he sees us. And so his father, even though he's an old man, he must have been able to tell from the manner in which he walked. And he must have gone out there often in the evening, hoping that he would be coming home. And he sees him. And the New English Bible has a marvelous translation at this point. His father saw him a long way off, and his father got up and ran to meet him. His father's heart went out to him, and he ran to meet him. And I like that. His father, uh, persons of great dignity, do not like to be seen uh, running. And... Uh, here his father, the leader of the household, an old man, raises up and runs to meet this, this boy. And he meets him a long way off and he kisses him and hugs him. That kiss and that hug are tremendously important because it shows that his father loves him and he wants him to feel that personal relationship to him again. His father didn't say, go in the house and take a bath and get those filthy clothes off and then I'll hug you. No, gaunt and stenchful and everything else, his father took him just as he was. We have a him just as I am. That's the only way any of us can ever come to the Lord. And then his father says, bring a ring that shows a, a certain signet ring that shows that he has a certain position. Bring a ring and put it on his hand. Bring a robe and he even adds the best one and put it on him and put shoes on his feet. Our black uh, people in America used to sing the old song, I got shoes, you got shoes, all God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, going to put on my shoes, going to dance all over God's heaven. It was a sign of being restored completely. And that's wonderful because it tells us that God will take us where we are and make us what we ought to be. But then there it enters in, this is a perfect story because it had begun with the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes. And here is the grumbling of the elder brother who hears the joy going on in the household and who is angry when he hears that his brother has returned he doesn't even refer to him as his brother. He says, this son of yours, when he speaks to his father. And the father does an interesting thing. Just as he had run out to meet the son who had wasted so much while he was a great way off, so he has to come out and go to the one who has stayed there at home 
but who is angry and has spoiled the happiness of the whole household by his anger. That's often the case. I don't think I've ever been proud of any time that I've ever been angry. All of us have to cope with anger, but it's usually a bubble that indicates something is wrong inside. There can be a righteous rage, but most of our rage is not righteous. Well, the older son goes over everything that the boy has done. He must have heard a lot of things about what he had been doing because he reminds his father about it all and he tells him all the things that he has done and then complains, but his father entreats him. His father wishes to speak to him in such a way that he knows that he loves him too because he's out of fellowship with him also, his attitude is. And so his father speaks to him about that attitude. He says, all that I have is yours. You could have had a calf killed anytime you wanted him. But your brother has come back. He has to use that phrase. And it was right for us to rejoice, for he was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. Now then, to bring it together, what does it say to me? There was a um, few years ago a um, musical called Godspell. I remember seeing, I was asked to view it um, and write a critique of it. And there was one very catchy and beautiful little song in there that I especially liked, and it was called Day by Day. And then when I studied, I found out that it actually come from a prayer that's about seven, eight hundred years old. And the prayer goes like this, Thanks to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits which thou hast given me, for all the pains and insults which thou hast borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, friend, and brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly, day by day by day by day. Now, where are you in relationship to the Lord? Are you willing to follow him this way, day by day by day? You can give as much of yourself as you know how to give to as much of him as you understand, and you can have a real experience with him now. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, thou only art life and light and love, light to all that seek thee and life to all that find thee and love to all that trust thee. Thou hast revealed thy power and thy glory in the beauty of the world about us, in the open pages of the blessed book we have read from today. 
and supremely in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we worship you. We have never come to you in vain, and we come to you now for pardon, for cleansing, and for peace. We are ashamed and sorry for our sins. But thou hast told us that if we confess our sins as we do, thou art faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the blood of Jesus Christ, thy Son, cleanses us from every sin. This promise we claim. In its light we long to journey till traveling days on earth are done. To thee, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ascribe our praises now and forevermore.